So before I get into talking this morning, I think there's someone that has a word to give our church. And I'm going to invite her to come on up here and give a word. So why are we so scared what's going to happen if like a certain president gets elected or what's going to happen tomorrow? Because no matter what, God's going to stay the same. And so if we go to Psalms 118, verse 6 through 8, it says, I will not be afraid because the Lord is with me. People cannot do anything to hurt me. The Lord is with me to help me. I will see my enemies defeated. It is better to trust in the Lord than it is to trust people. And that's saying don't be scared because the Lord is with us. And we need to stop putting our faith in, like, in people and start putting it more in the Lord. And social media is putting a lot of lies in our head, and we're believing them. And we need to stop because we have full, full authority to say, fear, go. And we need to stand up in front of fear and fight against it and stop running away from it. So I'm going to pray against fear. So, Lord, I pray if there's any fear in this room for it to go in the name of Jesus because it has no authority here and it needs to leave. And because there's a name greater than fear, and that name is Jesus. Because you, we know fear is defeated, and Satan is defeated, and so we should not be believing the lies and be scared that something bad is going to happen, and we should not be living in fear. And I pray that if anybody is scared, for them to have full authority to say fear, go, and for them not to be scared to say go. In your name I pray. Amen. Chris, she said fear leave, not daddy leave. (laughs) I'm just deflecting, okay? That's what I do (laughs) when I screw up. We're going to have to laugh a lot this morning. So I got a few questions I want to start out asking you guys today, and this is audience participation. What do you think is one of the greatest issues in our world right now? Election, huh? I'm not repeating that. What do you guys think is one of the greatest issues in our world right now? Division, that's good. Sorry. What about an issue in our world that also affects our churches? Come on, somebody speak up. What are some issues in our churches that also are in our world? Being fake? Gossip? Social media? COVID? What did you just say? Did you hear that? Lies? Anybody think there's an issue of lying in our world right now? Anybody think there's an issue of lying going on in our churches right now? So when you turn on the TV, you turn on the news, do you believe anything you hear? So I gave you guys a challenge last week. The challenge was to turn off the news and don't watch it. Did you? Yes. How was it? Was your week better? Yes. 
Anybody else take that challenge? I did. How was your week? Was your week better or worse? I got some <laughs> in the back. What's well, calmer? Right? It was just a rawr. <laughs> so when you hear a politician speak, do you believe what they say? Talking about elections. Do you believe anything any of them say? <laughs> More than one or two? <laughs> they state their name. So Lisa's already let the cat out of the bag the answer to this question and the other ones, but what is something that is born into us born into us it becomes our first reaction often when we're confronted with doing something wrong when we feel like we're on the defense what do we do do we do we do that as adults do we do that as kids anybody ever been around a kid that's say two years old I think Jeff was telling me a story about this this morning. I'm not going to tell that story. I'm not going to embarrass you or her. But think about it. You ever been around a kid and you catch them doing something wrong, their hands in it, and you go, what are you doing? I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Who taught him that? Did you teach him that as a parent? Did you sit him down and say, you know, maybe you did, and if you did, that's a whole other sermon for a different day. Maybe your actions modeled it, but I'm talking about you generally don't lie in your household. You don't lie to your kids, but your kid lies as soon as they can speak. How did they get that? How did it happen? Learned it, or is it born into them? I'm thinking about a story my father-in-law tells of my brother-in-law, and I'm already embarrassed Wendy, so I'll embarrass her brother today, too. He was a little kid. He was like four or five years old, and, the, and I think it was, I might not have this exactly right, but there was a little swimming pool out in their yard, you know, a little kiddie pool, and he threw a muddy stick in it, or there was a muddy stick in it. So Wendy's dad went out and said, Richie, did you put that stick in that water? And he said, no, Daddy, I didn't do it. Well, the problem is I think my father-in-law had watched him do it. Richie, I'm going to give you one more chance to tell me, did you put that in there? No, Daddy, I didn't do it. You got one more chance or I'm going to bust your ear in for lying, to be honest with me. And he looked at his daddy and said, Daddy, did you do it? It's born into us, but where did it come from? Where does that ability to lie when we can barely talk come from? Here's a crucial question. That ability to lie from an early age, does it stick with you, or do you grow out of it? Anybody in here ever grown out of it? Yeah, I, gotta, I can't add neither. Does it get whipped out of us, or timeouted out of us? Hey, you go sit in timeout. Did you sit in timeout long enough you quit lying? Did you get whipped enough you quit lying? Or is it something we naturally struggle with the rest of our lives? So everybody's squirming a little bit right now, right? Temperature's risen a little bit in here. <laughs> and how many of you are thinking, oh, crap, is he talking to me this morning? Did I lie? Did I get caught? Have I not done something right? Right? 
And I'm okay with creating a little bit of tension because this is something God's put on our heart for several weeks to talk about, and I just haven't known the right time. Did somebody tell him what I did this week? Am I about to get in trouble? I didn't even know it. So why do we feel uncomfortable when we start talking about a heavy topic like this? Is it safe to say it's something we all struggle with? I'm trying not to make eye contact with anybody right now because I don't want you to think I'm talking to you. I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to everybody. This is something that we struggle with every day if we were to be honest with ourselves. Some of us are sitting there going, crap, I don't know if I lied this week. Did he catch? i got to take inventory of what I did. I don't think I told any blatant lies this week. I think I'm good. And then we start looking around our neighbors who's squirming beside me. <laughs> did they lie? Are they getting a little uptight? Right? You know, when we talk about something tough like this, it's always, to start, it's always easy to look at the person beside you or start thinking of the person. You're like, dang, I wish this person was here right now. Because if he's going to talk about lying this morning, we need, he needs to hear this, she needs to hear this, right? But I'm asking us this morning to take inventory of what we're doing. Inventory of what we're thinking. So what is a lie? Y'all are so uncomfortable you can't even talk. What is a lie? Not telling the truth, right? Simple. What? Not telling the truth, right? So can we define a lie as something that's not 100% truthful? So if I tell something that's not 100% I'm sorry, if I tell something it's 100% false, that's a lie, right? It's easy. It's a blatant lie. But what about when I tell something that's 80% true and 20% false? Is it a lie? What about if it's 90% true? What about if it's 99.99% true? Still a lie? Okay. So I'm going to define a lie this morning as something that is not 100% true. And now I'm going to ask you, have you told a lie this week? I have. You don't have to raise your hands. Thank you for those that had the courage to do it. <laughs> What's that? I heard, a, I heard of somebody admit they did it this week. So I'm trying to expand our thinking because I think immediately when we start talking about lies, we start talking about, does he know something about me? Does he know something I did? Is he about to get on to me? Is he talking about somebody specific? And I'm just trying to broaden the thought to help you understand what a lie is and why they're devastating. My goal is not to make you feel guilty. My goal is to talk about something that's real and it's everywhere in our society. It's everywhere in our politics. It's everywhere in our jobs. It's everywhere in our churches. You ever been lied to in a church? I'm not going to ask if you've been lied to in this church. I hope you hadn't been. But I'm not going to ask that question. My goal is to talk about what we need to do. And this is going to go bigger than be a good person and don't tell a lie. I promise that. You're just going to have to bear with me. And it's probably going to take two weeks to get there fully. You see, sometimes I think we're lying and we don't even know it. And that's the tough thing. When we're lying and we don't even know we're doing it. You ever notice that sometimes you don't realize what you're doing until somebody brings it up? Anybody in here looked at buying a new car recently? 
Okay, I'm going to pick on Jeff. What kind of car did you buy, Jeff? He bought a 2021 Hyundai Palisade. How many Hyundai Palisades had you seen on the road before you bought that car? How many? He said he's seen one or two. How many have you seen since? 38, like a day, right? You don't realize that it's all around you until you get something that brings your attention to it. And a car is an easy example. But my goal is to introduce this to you today so we can start taking an inventory of what's going on in our lives. I'm going to tell you a little secret about me. God put it on my heart to talk about lies. And last night at our wedding, I paid attention to how many times I twisted the truth. And it wasn't a pretty picture. I didn't tell any blatant, outright lies. But I found myself over and over in conversations with people going, whoa, 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 that's not exactly 100% true. What do I do with this now? So I think this is something that we all struggle with, whether we admit it or not. We want, when we start talking about lies, we immediately want to go to big things and who did it and all that. But I'm trying to make you take a look at what's going on in our lives and why is it there and what do we do with it. Okay? So I'm asking you to listen with open minds this morning. I'm asking you to listen to how can I apply this and make my life better. And I'm going to start by telling you I think all these questions start in the Garden of Eden. And that's the easy answer, right? And they go all the way through the Bible to the end of Revelations. I promise I'm not here to call anybody out. I'm trying to help you learn how to deal with it. It's a fact. We all struggle with truth and deception. We all struggle with it. This message has sort of been stirring for many months. Wendy has asked me to talk about it, and as I prayed, it just hasn't happened. There's some obvious events that have happened that many of you know about that would cause us to think about things like this. But that's not when God wanted me to talk about it because, see, that would be pinpointed towards one thing, and this is supposed to be for all of us. This is supposed to be a teaching for all of us. So I want to start by looking at some scripture this morning. I asked the question, where do lies come from? So I'm going to ask another question. Hopefully it's a little easier to answer. What is needed for creation of anything? What is needed for anything to be created? An idea? I'm going to say a father. Who created our universe? Our father. We're taught by Jesus to call him daddy, our daddy who's in heaven, our father. What does it take, be nice and easy here, especially with my comment earlier, what does it take for a child to be born? A father. I don't care what science tells you, and that's a whole other discussion for another day too. I don't care. It takes a father to be a creator, right? It took a father to create the universe. It takes a father to create life, okay? So what created lies? Does anybody remember what Jesus called Satan? The creator, the father of lies. In John 8, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. But I want to set the stage for that John 8 scripture a little bit. So Jesus is talking to people who don't believe him. He's spreading a message. It's radical. I'm the son of God. I'm here. I'm what you've been waiting on. I'm the Messiah. And they're arguing with him. They're just flat arguing with him. They're trying to draw him into a conversation and twist his words. What are they trying to do? 
They're trying to manipulate him so that he will say something that contradicts what he said earlier, therefore making him a liar, right? They're trying to draw him into it and manipulate him. And he says, why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? So you see, Jesus has these people around him. He's the son of God. We believe that, but these people that were present with him didn't believe it, right? And I'm going to say that he was talking to people that were consumed with a lying spirit. He was telling them, you don't even have the ability to believe what I'm telling you. Because you are a, father, a child of the father of lies, the devil. They have a lying spirit and they're trying to draw him into that same lying spirit with manipulation, make him trip up, make him contradict what he's going to say. So the question comes up, when did Satan prove to Jesus he was the father of lies? The second question that comes up is, what is a lying spirit? I throw that term out. What is a lying spirit? Okay? So let's tackle number one. In Genesis chapter one, what did God do? Created everything. Anybody remember what happened in Genesis chapter two? He expounds on something in creation a little bit for a whole chapter. Has to do with male and female. That's not till chapter three. So chapter one, God creates everything. Everything, but in chapter 2, he expounds on male and female and the people that he created. And then who shows up in chapter 3? Let's go back to chapter 2. It says, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can eat anything in this garden except for this one tree because if you do, you're going to die. Then chapter 3 happens. Who shows up? Satan, the devil. He shows up in chapter 3 right after God explains creation, tells him how great it is, and gives Adam his directive of what he's supposed to do. So Satan appears to Eve, not to Adam, to Eve, and says one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any trees in the garden? He didn't come in there. I've talked about this before, and you guys probably remember. He didn't come in there and try to burn the garden down, destroy them, kill them. He came in there, and he knew the truth. And he just took it and twisted it just a little bit. Did God say that you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? Eve says, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the, tree from the, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. And Satan says, you won't die. You're not going to die. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. And you'll be like him, knowing both good and evil. So she was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. 
So what did Satan do? Did he show up? Because we see these pictures and we see him grabbing the apple off the tree and handing it to her. Right? That he just showed up with this thing and said, take this. That's not what he did. What did he do? He got in her head. He took the truth that he knew. And he manipulated just a little bit to make her think there was something she deserved she didn't have, right? This is the first record of the father of lies. And it happens in the third chapter of the Bible. His goal was to make her think there was something else she deserved. He didn't use blatant lies. He knew she wasn't going to physically die. He didn't really lie to her. You're not going to die. You're not going to drop dead and die. It's a different kind of death, right? He knew that her eyes would be open to no good and evil, and he manipulated the truth to cause the failure. And I think if we look in our lives and question, most of us on an average day are not just outright blatant liars, right? We've seen a few of those. But most of us are not outright blatant liars. But how many of us can manipulate the truth just a little bit to try to get what we want? I've been both. You heard my testimony. I was a blatant liar. But what do I struggle with today? The times that I don't even realize I'm twisting things to get what I want. So I'm going to expand our definition of a lie a little farther. It's not just anything that's not 100% true, but I think we've got to start including the word manipulation. A lie is anything that's not 100% true and anything that has been slightly manipulated to change the truth. Okay, you with me? I know it's a little hard this morning, but i got a point of where I'm going. So the father of lies has defined what a lie is to us as soon as God's done with creation. It's not a complete untruth. It's not a complete lie. You just twist the truth. The problem I think that many of us have is some of us have been taught by our parents how to do this. Some of us have been taught by our bosses how to do this. Some of us have been taught by our spouses how to do this. Some of us have had to rely on manipulation to survive in life. And when we get so good at it and it becomes part of our everyday life, we don't even realize we're doing it. And that's what I'm asking you to take a deep look at today. Do I tell the truth? Do I live the truth? Or do I have a tendency to take things and change them enough to get what I want? Some of us think the word manipulation is actually our friend. Instead of realizing it's a tool from the father of lies. So Satan himself used lies and manipulation to ruin everything. But what about us? Is Satan tempting you? So we talked about when one question was, when did Satan become the father of lies? And there's probably an argument that it happened in heaven when he convinced a third of the angels to go with him. But I'm talking about the first time on earth. The second question that I mentioned is, what exactly is a lying spirit? And I think we've got to define that a little bit more. So we've got to remember, in Revelation 12, it says, The great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the world, was thrown down to earth with all of his angels. Right? So we've talked about that in depth. Satan was cast to earth. All of his angels were cast to earth. Who's tormenting us? Who's our enemy? The devil and 
his evil angels, right? Just to recap what we talked about about this time last year. So he has angels too. They're evil and there are many of them, right? So we don't need to get fearful about it. We just need to understand who they are, how to fight them. And we spend a lot of time trying to teach you that. We need to understand that we have authority to fight them. This is called what? Spiritual warfare. Thank you. That's right. Parker's reminding us if he took one third, how many do we still have on our side? Two thirds. Okay. Thank you for remembering that. That's a huge piece. But Paul in Ephesians 6 says our battle's not flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And no matter how many times we talk about it, it's going to be so hard for us to get our arms around this whole topic of what our enemy is because we can't see it. Because if a human lies to you, what do you do? What do you do when you find out a human's lied to you most of the time? Come on, somebody's gotten lied to this week. Tell me what you've done. You get upset with a person. Maybe you go off on them. Maybe you call them a liar. Maybe you just say, I don't want to hang out with them anymore. But do we stop and fight the spiritual fight? Do we stop and put these words that Paul says around it? I don't know. Some of this evil angel stuff is just kind of hard to get my arms around. That's not what I was taught growing up. It's tough. So I'm going to warn you. This next scripture that I'm about to say is going to rock your world. It's going to rock your world. What I'm about to tell you is going to rock your world. Because I don't know what all you've been taught. I know what we've tried to teach you. I don't know what all you believe. I don't know what all you've absorbed. I don't know what all you've read in the Bible. But there's some things in there that are hard to get your arms around. And this one's going to rock you a little bit. Anybody ever heard of King Ahab? Anybody know who King Ahab is? Jezebel's husband. Anybody know who Jezebel is? Again, different discussion, different day. So Ahab had a wife named Jezebel. Jezebel is something we talk about. Jezebel is a spirit. Jesus warned a church to not tolerate a Jezebel spirit. It's not where we're going today. But Ahab was a king of Israel. And he was evil. His wife was evil. His entire family was evil. Jezebel's goal was 100% to kill the prophets of God. That was her entire goal in life, was to kill the prophets of God. There is another teaching around that we're probably going to do at the beginning of the year. But to set the stage for this particular scripture, the nation of Israel is split. There's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. So Ahab is evil. He worships Baal. Okay? So you know the Elijah story, the prophets of Baal, they're trying to call down fire, they're stabbing themselves. Elijah smarts off and says, what's your God out peeing or something? That's what he says, first sign of sarcasm in the Bible, thank you. And then Elijah calls down the fire from God to prove the prophets of Baal wrong, right? That's Ahab, that's the Ahab we're talking about. So if you don't know who Ahab is, maybe you know that story. So Ahab worships Baal, he's a false god. And then there's Jehoshaphat, and we talked about Jehoshaphat. What does he do? He sends the worshipers out to battle first because he understands the value of worship. Just had to throw that back in there again. And it said Jehoshaphat worships Almighty God. Second Chronicles 17, it says, The Lord was with 
Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father's early years and he did not worship Baal. He sought his father's God and he obeyed his commands instead of following the evil practices of the kingdom of Israel. Okay, so I got to set the stage and I'm going to paraphrase it. So you got King Ahab, he's evil. You got King Jehoshaphat of this other divided part of the kingdom and he's serving God. But somehow they find themselves in 2 Chronicles 18 about to go to battle together. So these two people that don't even like each other, they're serving different gods, somehow get linked up. They're having dinner together. Seriously, Ahab brings Jehoshaphat in. They're having a dinner, and Ahab says, hey, will you go help me fight? Why? Because Ahab knew, I'm going to get tortured. I'm going to get killed. I can't even get my, my, my God to show up and burn this altar. How in the world am I going to beat this army, right? But Jehoshaphat seems to have this God with him that burns the altar, so I'm going to take him to battle. There's probably some manipulation there, but that's not the point. So Ahab says, why don't we join forces? Let's go conquer some land. So Jehoshaphat's like, that sounds good. We'll do it. But let's see what God says about it. Before we just do it, let's see what God says about it. So Jehoshaphat says, go get the prophets. Ahab brings 400 prophets of Baal in, false prophets, liars. And they tell him, go to battle. Go to battle. You're going to win, Ahab. You're going to win. Jehoshaphat says, wait, is there not one prophet of God here? You got 400 false prophets. There's not one prophet. And Ahab's like, uh, there's this one guy. But every time we talk to him, bad things happen to me. And I don't like him. I think he said, I hate him. And his name is Micah. So they call him Micah, and Micah gets sarcastic with Ahab. I just bring that up to say sarcasm's in the Bible twice. All revolves around, all revolves around Baal. And twice he smarts off to Ahab and says, yep, you're going to have the victory. You'll be good. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. And Ahab's like, I need you to be serious, Micah. You've got to be serious, but what is your God telling you? And Micah says, okay, I'll be serious. I had a vision. I saw Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd, and the Lord said their master has been killed. And Ahab's like, I told you this guy. He never has anything good to say, and he starts freaking out. But this is where it gets crazy, and this is what's going to rock you. And the Lord said, who can entice King Ahab of Israel to go into battle? So he can be killed. So Ahab says, let's join forces. Let's go into battle. I want to take you with me because you got God on your side. And then he finds out that God's going to make him die. But he's, God's still got to convince him to go into battle. Cat's out of the bag. Are you going to go out if you know you're going to die today? Are you going to go do it? I'm going to go battle the forces of Satan. You're, you're going to die when you do it. Okay, let's go. Are you going to do that? I hope you will. But most of us aren't, right? If we knew what our fate was going to be, we're not going to do it. But God had to convince him to get to that place. This is crazy. God said, who can entice Ahab to go into battle so that he can be killed? There were many suggestions, and finally a spirit approached the Lord and said, I can do it. A spirit. God said, how will you do this? The spirit replied, I will go out and inspire all of Ahab's prophets to speak lies. And God said, you will succeed. Go do it. God gave authorization to an evil spirit to go do something. Does that rock your world? Because it did mine. We've got this made-up image of what God is. And yes, we've got to learn to fight Satan and all this. But what's my point? If we're not operating where God wants us to be and worshiping him, he may allow some things to happen to us 
that'll blow our minds, and it ain't good. God said, you will succeed. Go ahead and do it. So you see, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of your prophets, for the Lord has pronounced your doom. A couple weeks ago, I said something about a lying spirit, and somebody said, that's not in the Bible. There is no such thing as a lying spirit. It tells you not to lie. Thou shalt not lie. You can't lie. Don't lie. Liars go to hell. All that, but it's, there's nothing about a lying spirit. But right there in Second Chronicles, it says, the Lord put a lying spirit in the mouths of the prophets for Ahab's doom. Ahab was evil, and God allowed an evil spirit to go lie to him so he would go to the battlefield. Guess what happens next? Anybody got an idea? He goes to battle, and he gets killed. And I can only imagine as he's dying, he's going, dang it, Micah. So what am I going with here? If you're seeking God with all your heart, good things are going to happen. But if you're trying to play this side of the fence where I'm going to do as little as possible to get by and get into the kingdom because I want this fire insurance of not going to hell, is God going to allow some things to happen that may not be good? This rocked my world because I can't get my arms around God still talking to that evil angel and saying, go do your work. But that's the problem. We all try to get our arms around who God is instead of understanding in Scripture who God is. Anybody remember the first king of Israel? Anybody remember his name? Saul? Wasn't he anointed by God? Wasn't he chosen and anointed? Wasn't he successful in battle until what? He became, what's that? He became disobedient. Thank you, McCall. He became disobedient. And it says he was disobedient over and over and over. And in 1 Samuel 16, 14, it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Here's my question. How many of us come in here on Sunday morning and go, Spirit of fear, leave? But we're disobedient all week. Spirit of depression, leave. You have no authority in the name of Jesus. But I ain't doing nothing God's telling me to do. How many of us does that happen to? So I want you to let that sink in a little bit. You want motivation to serve God, to follow God, to obey God, to do what he says? That ought to be your motivation. I don't know what else to give you. How about serving God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, so what will happen? He doesn't do that. And now you have this authority to cast these demons out. I think too many of us are just a little too comfortable with some of our demons and not serving God completely and doing the least we can to get by. And then we don't understand why we're constantly depressed and we're constantly in fear and we're constantly in these bad places. And then someone like us shows up and says, are you following God with all your heart? And they go, I'm going to call you Micah. You got nothing but bad news for me. This is why it's been hard for me to preach on this because I knew this is going to be a tough message and I want you guys so bad to get your arms around it. I want this to rock you. This is not the greasy gray story that we hear in church. 
I sinned this week 40 times, but it's okay because I got grace. Yes, you do have grace because we're not perfect and we're going to mess up. But if you're participating with all this stuff all the time, how can you expect that grace to bail you out all the time? It's just not biblical. I want you to understand the significance of what a lie is and where it comes from because we have to learn to fight it. And fighting it is not just casting out the lying spirit. Fighting it is serving God with all your heart and putting him before everything else. Isn't there a scripture that says, serve God with all your heart and everything else will fall into place? I'm paraphrasing, but isn't that what Jesus said? Maybe that's part of what he meant. But I just told a little white lie this week. It's just a little one. It wasn't a big deal. I told a little white lie so it wouldn't hurt somebody's feelings. And you open the door for a lying spirit to torment you. But I just manipulated one piece of the truth to get that sale. Or I just manipulated that one thing to make sure that bride would be okay that was here. I just manipulated that one piece of truth to justify how much I charged them. And you open the door for the lying spirit to come in. So next week, we're going to dig deeper into this because I'm just trying to set the stage for the father of lies, where it came from, and what a lying spirit is. I know this is kind of beat you up type week, but next week it's going to be more like what does it look like in our day-to-day lives? What does the New Testament say about it? What does Jesus say about it? What's in our society and how do we fight this? But you got to understand what you're fighting before you can take a stance and fight it, right? So that's the goal of today. You can ask a question. Um, well, I, uh, I was just wondering, so if, if you think, uh, so it's hard. <laughs> if you think you're telling a lie, but you're actually telling the truth, like say, say your friend asks you, uh, I'm just going to make this up, um, how much a cajon cost. He gives a specific cajon, and you have no clue how much it costs, but you want to be a know-it-all, and you say, and you say a hundred dollars, and you think you're, and you say a hundred dollars and ninety-seven cents, and you think you're lying, but really, it's actually completely a hundred percent true. Is that count as a liar? So what you're saying is you made something up on the spot, and it happened to be true. I think that's a lie. But I think that's a great example. You don't walk into somebody's life usually and just start with a blatant lie. I used to, but most of the people don't, right? You don't walk in and go, yeah, I bought a $100,000 car today, paid cash. Where is it? Uh, it's at home in the garage. I can't drive it. I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm trying to make up some on the spot. This is more realistic. We answer questions we don't have a clue about, and we hope they're right. And when they get right, we go, wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, I was right, I guessed it. So I think the answer is yes. Is it a malicious lie? I don't think so. But is it a little lie that cracks the door for a lying spirit? I do think so. Lies a lie in Jesus' eye. (laughs) So my goal is that I'm hoping you start to take this seriously, the words that come out of your mouth. I want you to realize that we may do this a little bit more than we think, and we've got to stop and consciously think about it. So what I'm going to do today, because we're going to wipe the slate clean today, 
I prayed a prayer that I just came up with this morning because guess who's gotten convicted this week? Through his own message, it happens all the time. It's easy to point the fingers, but I had to say to myself, I'm going to ask every one of you to look inward. I have to look inward. And maybe when you start looking inward, it's kind of like that Honda Palisade. You start realizing, dang, there's a lot of these on the road. I got some cleaning up to do. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes because I don't want you looking at who's twitching around you and who's getting uncomfortable and squirming when they pray this. And I want you, I'm going to try to do it in short spurts, but I want you to repeat this prayer after me if you're comfortable. Jesus, I come to you and I thank you for dying for me, for saving me. For providing healing for me and providing deliverance for me. I thank you that your word says if I simply confess my sins to you, that you are faithful and just to forgive my sins and to cleanse me from all wickedness. So today, Jesus, I confess that I'm a liar. That I've participated with a lying spirit. And I repent from that sin. And I ask you to forgive me. I'm sorry for the choices I made. That have led me to wrong places. I've listened to the enemy's lies. Instead of your words. In scripture. So today. I rebuke the lies. Of the enemy. In Jesus name. And I receive. Your healing. Your deliverance. And your salvation. Today. I rebuke a lying spirit in the name of Jesus. And I tell you to leave me now. You have no more legal right to lie to me. And I will not participate with you any longer. I have opened the door to you. And today, in the name of Jesus, I close that door. And I seal it with your blood, Jesus. Jesus, today, I accept your truths. I replace the lies of Satan and any evil spirit with your truth, Jesus. This week, I promise to take evil thoughts captive. Confess my sin immediately so I can shut the door to the enemy. I will not blame. I will not cover up. I will not manipulate. I will not try to reason with sin or rationalize my sin. Father, you created me. In your own image. You know my thoughts before I speak them. 
you know my heart and you see through my excuses and my intentions. Your spirit warned me, but I ignored you. Discouragement and disappointment have taken their toll on me. So, Lord, I truly need your forgiveness. Repentance is on my heart. I just want to turn and turn and go a different direction. Back to you, Lord. And I need your help. Father, please create a clean heart in me. I love you. And I want to be close to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I just want you to take a minute. If you need to keep talking to God in your head, you just keep talking to him. If there's specific things that you need to clear up with him, I'm not asking you to say it out loud. Just keep talking to him. Just let your Holy Spirit move over them right now. Just show them your love and your willingness to forgive if we truly repent and look at our lives. Father, I pray that we would never take your grace for granted. That we wouldn't use your grace as an excuse or a cover-up. But we would seek your heart, Lord. So, Father, this week expose to me in the moment when I say the things I don't even want to say. So I can make the decision to take that thought captive. And maybe follow up with, I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have said that. Father, just help us to immediately repent and ask for your forgiveness in that moment. And truly seek your heart of forgiveness and grace, not this thing that we've made it, where we just do what we want because we've got your grace to cover it all. So, Father, as we leave today, I'm asking you, God, not me, but you, Holy Spirit, to challenge everyone in here and everyone who hears this message online that we would be challenged to watch our words this week to watch what we say, to watch our intention of the words. What is our heart behind the words? Are we taking a stab at something, hoping we get it right, or do we have the courage to say, I don't know? Are we covering up insecurities by telling things that aren't true, or do we have the courage to say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I'm just scared. So, Father, I'm asking you to touch everyone in here and help us to look deep within us this week so we can fight off this lying spirit because I may not can do anything about it around the world and in our politicians and in our country, but, Father, we can do something about it in our hearts and in our church and in our community. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Amen. So I just want to challenge you guys this week. Pay attention to your words. And next week, I promise it's going to be a little more applicable.
So you guys have a great week.